Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined as always by the one, the only, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, as the Packers get ready on this Thanksgiving week for a Sunday night football showdown with division rival Minnesota at U.S. Bank Stadium, a bit of an injury update coming off of the Packers Thursday night game last week in Seattle. Jimmy Graham with an injured thumb sounds like he's going to try to work on some different splints or different things on his hand to be able to try to play. So some potential good news there. But Mike Daniels with his foot injury that uh, knocked him out of the tail end of that Seattle game, it sounds like he's going to be out a minimum of a few weeks. Yeah, it's tough news on that regard because as I was saying last week, I thought even if the numbers weren't gaudy, I, I felt like Daniels was having a really good season and you see what his absence does, sort of the domino effect with that defense. I mean, they're, that's such a great one-two punch they have in those nickel and dime packages with him and Kenny Clark right now. And yeah. he obviously is a big contributor to their run base package as well. Uh, but from Jimmy Graham's re uh, regard, it's interesting. I, I kind of had forgotten about this, but the Packers have been in this position before with the tight end. Richard Rodgers played through a broken finger a few years back. Oh, wow, um, I forgot all about now, that. Now, it wasn't a thumb. I think it was an index finger or something like that. But So yeah. I don't know the difference there, what makes it more difficult or how you have to condition that. But it has happened before okay. uh, that the Packers have had a tight end play through it. He just played with a splint. It wasn't like he had to put a club on there or anything, at least not that I remember. Mitchell Henry did play with a club, but... Be that as it may, uh, you know, Jimmy Graham wanting to tough one out for the team here. Certainly a, a big part of this offense and what they're trying to do. So if he can make a go of it, you know, that would be pretty big for this uh, this offense moving forward. Yeah, and it's really too bad to see Mike Daniels go down because I know some of the fans have been wondering, like, where are the sacks and where are the big plays with Daniels? But I think what you said is really the key. It's how Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels have worked in tandem yeah. on the interior of that defensive line, particularly against the run. And we know Seattle, you know, number one rushing offense in the league, that was going to be a tough task regardless. And really the Packers did, a, did an okay job overall uh, you know, until down the stretch, really, in, in the fourth quarter there. And I should just clarify as well, because I've reported it incorrectly. We said it incorrectly on the show yesterday. The final drive after the Packers punted on fourth and two in Seattle, Kenny Clark actually was on the field. That's it was on only, me. Well, it's just as much on me as well. Yeah. Mike Daniels was out of the game. And Kenny Clark had left the game briefly, but actually for all of those plays after the fourth and two punt, Kenny Clark was on the field to try to stop the Seattle run offense there. So just wanted to clarify uh, the facts and make sure that uh, that's out there. Don't know Setting the record straight. Yeah, don't know whether that would influence anybody's decision <laughs> on the whole fourth and two, but we just want to make sure that we're factually correct as to what happened. Um, but I do think this, uh, this defensive front, which really, when you look at how Kyler Fackrell has come on and some of the other things that are going on, this defensive front is going to miss Mike Daniels, Wes. And, and, you know, obviously the Packers' backs are up against it here. No more margin for error in terms of this season. And uh, this is a big loss. Yeah, and the one thing that I think sums up Mike Daniels' game the best ever since the very beginning is the fact, I don't even know if you realize this, but I believe he's a half sack or a full sack away from breaking the franchise record by sacks by defensive tackle. That's right. Yeah, you had mentioned that earlier this earlier season. Earlier this season. Yeah. He's, I believe, tied right now with Cullen Jenkins for that at 29. Just a steady, consistent presence. His production isn't just like it came in one year, and then that's what you had, and then 
you had a different player besides that he's been the same guy from day one. Yeah. And you mentioned it it was such a great point. Probably if we rank our top 10 points of the 2018 season, when going into that game against the Patriots, you said this is where Kenny Clark could potentially be double teamed. This is where they could be putting a heavier emphasis on stopping him. Mike Daniels comes up with the sack uh, in, in those opportunities. So not having him there, certainly Dean Lowry's available. I think Tyler Lancaster's done some good things. Montrevious Adams is a former third round pick. But Mike Daniels, there's a reason why he was playing as much as he's playing this season. Yeah. And the other reality is they've already lost Muhammad Wilkerson. Now you lose Daniels. Those are your two most experienced guys in the room. You know, you get really young uh, at that position beyond that right now. Yeah, well, no other updates as of yet on some of the guys in the secondary as far as Bashad Breland, who dropped out of the Seattle game when the groin injury flared up again, Raven Green, ended up bowing out of the Seattle game. Kevin King did not play, spoke with reporters, obviously kind of itching to get back out there, but uh, but no definitive word on where he is. We'll find out uh, Wednesday at practice if he's able to get back on the field. Same with Randall Cobb, who's been dealing off and on for quite a while now with the hamstring injury. So uh, further updates, I guess, later in the week on that. But getting back to Jimmy Graham and the offense with the tight end position, um, that was a heck of a play, a heck of a first catch of the career for uh, Robert Tanyan there in Seattle. And uh, this guy's got such an interesting story. Where yeah. I say, you know, the, we, we talk about undrafted guys and their backstories and whatnot all along, but there, there's something there's something about this guy's story that just kind of makes you smile. It does, and, and I was talking to them about this in the locker room on Monday while you were in the, the head coach's news conference. And the thing that's interesting about Tanya and the position he's been in with the Packers right now is the fact that they decided to keep four tight ends, and deservedly so. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has even said it, calling him Bobby. I mean, Bobby deserved <laughs> a spot on that roster. He earned it. Yep. And when you consider he was brought in in December, was still a raw quarterback, transitioned into a receiver, transitioned into a tight end. Uh, there was a long way that he had to go with Brian Angelico in, in developing his talent. But then you add Jimmy Graham and you add Mercedes Lewis along with having Lance Kendricks back. It's over 340 NFL starts among the three of them. (laughs) Over 27 NFL seasons, six Pro Bowls, however you want to slice it. A lot of uh, production in this league. And then you have Robert Tanya, (laughs) who was a lightly recruited uh, alumnus of Indiana State, the first guy, the first Sycamore. The Sycamores, yeah. To make an NFL opening 53-man roster since 2000. Wow. I mean... Mercedes Lewis was, you know, when he got drafted in the first round in 2006, Tanyan was 12. I mean, it's just things like that that it really puts into perspective how far he's come uh, and, and to be able to make it in this uh, the spot. And, you know, over the last few months talking with Lance Kendricks, I talked with Mercedes Lewis after the game on Sunday. These guys are truly happy for him. Just in, if, you, if you know Tanya, if you watch him in the locker room, he's a very unassuming personality. You know, he just goes about his business day in and day out, just tries to do whatever he's asked to do. He doesn't complain about playing time. If he gets three snaps, those are the biggest three snaps of his season. Yeah. And you can just tell how much him making that play meant to them as a position. Yeah, and it's interesting here too, Wes, because we talk about how the Packers seem to find these undrafted guys here and there throughout You know, the, the last several years. They're always young ones that emerge and it's interesting in this particular case because it's a story like Tanyan's that attracts the undrafted free agents Mm -hmm. to Green Bay when they have 
the pick of the litter, so to speak. They have opportunities, maybe multiple offers to go different places because this is a young guy. You mentioned the school, Indiana State, not not a college football program with a huge pedigree producing NFL players. And he comes in at a position where the Packers have three established veteran guys who are probably not going to be moved out of their positions, yet he was given an opportunity, he took advantage of that opportunity, and he earned a roster spot, and they gave him that roster spot because he had earned it regardless of the other guys who were at the position. Those are the kinds of things that agents, that young players, they notice that. They notice how teams handle those situations. Now, that doesn't mean it always works out for everybody. But in this particular case, this is one that this is one that that gets noticed. I was talking. Remember that story I wrote on Tanyan back in September. Yeah. And I don't know if I included this this tidbit in the story or not, but I was talking with his dad, uh, Big Bob, uh, his dad, Big Bob, the senior. All right. And uh, and his mom Tammy, and they recalled sitting down. I believe it was with Jack Becta, who was the agent uh, for a number of different Packer players, but also the agent for Tanyan. And Becta, they got attached to him because I believe he was also representing C.J. Fedorowicz, and Fedorowicz and Tanyan had a history. Veteran agent in this league. Veteran agent in this league. And he sat down with him when when Tanyan was coming down, and they signed with him going into the draft, and he explained to him, you know, what this path is like for undrafted players, how nothing is guaranteed, and ultimately you have to have patience. But after he – and he needed it because he got cut by Detroit – and it wasn't like a like it was like right down to the wire. He basically knew going into that final round of cuts, he he didn't get a lot of chances to play. He knew he was going to be he was like the sixth or seventh tight end in the depth chart. He knew his time was up there. Mm-hmm. But to keep that mentality, and when he ultimately signed with the Packers, he, listening to his parents, even though they have no understanding of how the NFL really works, right? But they knew the opportunity he was coming into in Green Bay and that he was going to get a fair shake to develop his talent and to show that, okay, regardless of if you are Lance Kendricks, former consensus All-American, former second-round draft pick, or you're a Robert Tanyan, you're going to give a chance to, to really prove yourself. Tanyan got that. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing for him was, yes, he signed that futures contract in January, but you and I both know how these things work, Mike. Guys get held over from the practice squad across the NFL. Yep. It doesn't mean you're making a roster. It doesn't even mean you're making it to training camp because you sign free agents, you get your draft class, you get another crop of undrafted rookies. Very quickly do they turn through those type of players. Yep. Tanyan held on, got two touchdowns in the preseason, and then ends up making a really big impact when he came back. He put in the time, he added the weight, he did everything he needed to do. If Jimmy Graham plays, who knows when he's going to get his next substantial opportunity on offense. But the fact that he did get that 54-yarder, the fact he did everything right on the scramble drill, went back to the sideline and got the praise from Aaron Rodgers, that's going to go a long way in developing that trust, not just with Rodgers, but with these offensive coaches to know that when they need to count on that guy, he's going to be up to the challenge. Yeah, and he said it himself that it's not about getting ready for the opportunity. It's about being ready for it so you don't have to get ready. And obviously with Jimmy Graham, hats off to him if he tries to play and can still hopefully produce for the Packers. But with an injury like that, he could end up having to bow out of a game at any time, and all of a sudden Tanyan might might be the guy who gets called. And it's a big credit to Tanyan that Mike McCarthy stepped right up and said, hey, he's ready. Because we know we know how you can read between the lines. If he wasn't ready, they're not going to be saying those type of things. They're right. going to talk about special teams. They're going to be talking about him earning the opportunity. No, I mean, there's confidence now that if Tanyan needs to be in there, he needs to be in there. And he even said, you know, he does he still get nerves when he's in a huddle with Aaron Rodgers? Rodgers, absolutely. But I think if you ask Rodgers that, I think if you ask any player that, you want those nerves. Yeah. 
Because if you're not nervous as a rookie or first-year <laughs> player being in with Rodgers, why are you there? Yeah. It means a lot to Tanya, and I think so far this season he's proven it. Yeah, all right. Well, a little bit of sponsor here, Business West, and I'm going to double up just so I don't forget anything. There you go. So Packers fans, be sure to stop in at your local Quick Trip and pick up your Packers Cup today. Get 89-cent refills on your Cafe Caruba coffee all season long. And do not forget, it is time to enter the Cousin Subs Best Seats in the House promotion. You and a guest could win a chance to kick back on the 50-yard line in style. Two pairs of lucky Packers fans will be chosen prior to each home game for this VIP experience. Enter daily now through December 16 by completing the entry form and submitting for complete rules and eligibility. Go to Packers.com slash best seats. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. Okay, Wes, the week, a week that has the sport of football in the spotlight because we have Thanksgiving coming up and some great matchups that we'll talk about on our next show uh, with a, a great day of Thanksgiving football. But the Monday night football heading into Thanksgiving football was one that will not be soon forgotten. 54-51, the Rams over the Chiefs, the third highest scoring NFL game in history and the highest scoring Monday night game in NFL history, beating a 35-year-old record that the Packers held from the Green Bay-Washington game back in 1983, which was two days after my 11th birthday, October wow. 17th, 1983. 48-47, the Packers beat the Washington Redskins. 95 points had been the all-time record on Monday Night Football. This one beats it by 10. And holy cow, I don't even know where to start with this. I know you have some strong feelings about this one. I have some strong feelings. First and foremost, though, what are the the Vegas odds right now on Mark Murphy bringing this up on Murphy Takes Five next month for the <laughs> yeah. first Saturday of the yeah. month? I, he always likes to talk about that that Washington Packers game. He, and, gets, he, he gets asked about that yeah. by fans more than anything else, I think, because he was the uh, starting safety for yeah. the defending Super Bowl champion Washington team then and uh and the 95 points ironically should have been 98 if yeah. the reigning NFL MVP Mark Mosley A makes kicker. the kick at the end the Redskins would have won 50 uh, to 48. It would have been 98 points. But anyway, is yes. there anything better than 80s football where a kicker was an MVP? Yeah, of the, the kicker was the MVP of the league. What more could you <laughs> ask for, it. right? It's awesome. All right. Uh, as far as this game, yeah, I mean, okay. First, full, full disclosure, I ended up winning my fantasy football game just running away with it because Tyreek Hill, I mean, the Los Angeles had no answer for him whatsoever. <laughs> but here's the other thing about this. Anybody that complains about the Packers not running the ball enough, I hope you watch this game on Monday night because, you know, spoiler alert, this is what the entire league is doing at this point. I mean, yeah. Kareem Hunt and, and Todd Gurley, what do they have, like 20 carries among between the two of them? 26 together. Yeah. I... It's very exciting, Michael. I'm sure people loved it. I'm sure they were on the edge of their seat. Oh, who's going to score now? But we've seen two of these games this year with Kansas City now. If you go back to the Patriots game, yeah. it's fun. Everyone loves scoring. But I'm old school, right? I'm an old millennial. I'm on the upper echelon of that, right? Yeah. I love defense. There was no defense to be had in this no. game whatsoever. It was either the defenses made a big play, yeah. as in scoring a touchdown, because I think there were three defensive right. touchdowns in the game. Defenses were either making a big play to score points themselves, or there was just no resistance whatsoever. It, it, I, you know, I don't know, but quite frankly, this is this is what you get when you're going to protect quarterbacks as much as the league wants to protect quarterbacks when you're going to have all of these rules about 
defenseless receivers and you know and and I get it that a lot of this is is safety oriented yep. and all that kind of stuff but what defense has always had going for them was that little bit of intimidation because you could you could hit a guy you know you could you could send a message here and there that's what that's why in the in the 70s <laughs> you know in the old Raiders right. Raiders Steelers classic AFC type games in the 70s you didn't have scores like this because the game was played differently I tell you a little story Michael okay, okay? my son is 11 months old now and he's starting to develop. Like, he's starting to think a little bit more, right? Okay. My brother and sister-in-law have two cats. One of them's Claude and one of them's D-Claude, right? <laughs> Which one do you think my son messes with, you know? You're not messing with the Claude cat. Right. You're going to go after the D-Claude cat. And I think to some extent that's what you're seeing with the NFL now. Hey, listen, you still have to be able to complete the passes. You still have to be able to move with rhythm and timing. And there's other teams in the league that are struggling struggling offensively. So I'm not going to hate on Kansas City or L.A., both prolific offenses this season from putting up points. It's fine. I get that. But it is really interesting that Kansas City statistically is going to end up having one of the worst defenses in NFL history this year. Yeah. Um, just with the amount of points and the amount of yards that it's allowed. It, it is what it is. I think ultimately, as exciting as these games are, the one thing the playoffs does well with having the single-game format is – you're going to see who the best teams are, who's going to be the teams that offensively can still push the ball, but also have performances like, you know, yep. Philadelphia had leading up to the Super Bowl where you can win close games. And that's going to be something I'll have my eye on because even though these are two really high-scoring teams, you know, how, how do they match up with New Orleans? Yeah. You know, if New Orleans puts up points like that, I'm, I'm curious to see. Well, and the other thing, too, is I was reading another article because there was a a little bit of a controversy with how the NFL sort of assembled a, a playoff-type all-star officiating crew for this game. But then there were 26 flags that were thrown, including penalties that were declined. And I'll just say this, Wes, as far as the way the game is played these days, I, I'm reminded every Saturday when I get an opportunity to watch college football that illegal contact is a penalty that doesn't exist in college football. You can put your hands on a receiver, you can bump him, you can make contact with him until the ball is in the air. Yeah. In the NFL, you just have five that yards. five you just have that 5-yard zone. Now in college they can't grab him, they can't grab their jerseys and yank him around and stuff. That's defensive holding. Yeah. But in the NFL, man, it is just getting it's getting really really hard to play defense when you have when you have quarterbacks with the with the arm talent, the accuracy and all that. These guys like Goff and Mahomes that we saw on Monday Night Football, um, they're just they're just going to be tough to stop. Well, and it's a great point you make because it's not only getting hard to you know to play defense, but it's getting hard to referee and officiate that type of contact absolutely with any kind of regularity yes. because yes. everything is just a single instance you know so what is the statue it, it almost in some ways it does sort of remind you of uh, an umpire behind a you know behind a catcher and you got to figure out what the strike zone's looking like that night and, yeah. and, and contour yourself to it although there's a number of different eyes looking at, at this particular play um it, it is what it is I, I think from a when the night ended i was looking at twitter and Everybody, for the most part, was unilaterally just praising the game and the excitement and this is make this game never end. And, and that's cool. But as I said when I came into the office on, on Tuesday morning, I, I covered the Arena Football League for five years. And I'm not trying to say that this is what this is, but I remember some of the better games that I watched back then were the ones where it was like, okay, when the defense actually does make a stop, when it actually does make a play. And 
I, I just I really don't want another Super Bowl where it's just the highest scoring Super Bowl ever, the most yards piling ever. up all the yards. And so everything. yeah, I, we'll, I agree with you. We'll see where the season takes us. But again, that's the beautiful thing about the NFL is that you get a number of different styles, you get a number of different philosophies. Which style and philosophy is going to best complement your talent on the field, and that's ultimately who's going to win that championship. Yeah, and you wonder when when I look at a game like this, and you talk about what happened in the Super Bowl last year, it what it comes what it's coming down to for defense in this league is to make a big play at the it right is. time. It's not yeah. about it's not about what happens in the first three quarters. If your defense can make a big play for you in the fourth quarter, that can be the difference between winning and losing. I, I go back to that too. I, every day, Michael, I go back and I replay that 2011 Packers season in my head for that reason because I think that defense got a pretty bad rap. I mean, yeah, it gave up a ton of yards, but they were also putting up a ton offensively. But they ended up leading the league in interceptions that yeah, year. Yeah, a ton which is, a ton of turn a ton of turnovers that helped out that offense that was piling up yeah, all those points. So I still yeah. and I agree with Mike what Mike Patton said. I don't think total yardage in 2018 is how you need to measure the top ten defense and top ten offense in the league. But but that being said, it's about making plays. And it just so happened in this particular game, you know, with the way it shook out, you know, the Rams made enough of them and in Kansas City turned the ball over one too many times and yeah. that was a difference. All right, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.